welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy and here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jerry Springer. Don't get up, you and yeah. <laughs> hey, huh? Hey, how about this Do crowd we? tonight? Hey. This, yeah, you got this a good is, crowd here tonight. You huh? have nothing else to do? <laughs> that's what I tell people that come to our show. Well, that's the truth, though. They, but they don't have anything. Correct. The people that come to my show don't have anything else to do. These fine folks. Hey, you do. know, I, I hate to bring up. Uh, oh, bring it up anyway. Downer stuff, but you know sometimes. how good he is at this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do a report to corporate after every podcast. <laughs> And see, I, see, thank you. <laughs> and in my report to corporate, I mentioned that we're having some trouble with some of the cast members doing material jokes. I just call them jokes and uh, amateurishly. What do you mean? Laughing some at of their the cast own material. Members, there are only three people. <laughs> corporate said to me, and I, they said, "What are you talking about?" They, somebody, I said, "Somebody's laughing at their own material when they're telling jokes." And mm. they said to me, "Corporate said that is very immature." And when we arranged to deal with you, and they said, "Is it Jerry?" And I said, "No, it is not Jerry." I said, "It's it's Megan." Right. That because <clears throat> I had to give them a name. Appreciate that bus. Well, I had to give them a name. Megan, I had to give them a name. Well, so well, actually, I just I was earlier today with my. I'm not embarrassed with my psychiatrist yes and uh no my psychiatrist he told me oh, i was annoyed because he t- told me i'm crazy i said i want a second opinion he says okay you're ugly too so you know it was just no and see corporate has also said no. about <laughs> doing the same no. joke again and again, again and again okay. hey you know i will tell you this um uh, the Galvin family is oh, one of the smartest families in America. <laughs> my, my family. <laughs> and, and it's documented. You were the one that laughed at your joke last week. No, I don't remember you that. Cried, you, actually, you cried, actually. You cried you were laughing so hard yeah. at your own joke before hey, you got to the punchline. You know, one of the reasons why I say that about my own family, about the Galvin family being one of the smartest families in America, is that I heard a conversation just the other day between my two brothers, Jerry and Jim. You guys know my two brothers. Oh, absolutely. Jerry's older, Jim's younger. Jim's younger. And Jim said to Jerry, we were sitting out on the balcony of where I live, and we were just sitting out there. It was dark. It was probably about 11 o'clock at night. And Jim said to Jerry, just kind of whimsically, which is farther away, the moon or New York City? And Jerry said, the moon. And Jim said, gosh, how do you, how do you know? How did you, you, did you know that? And Jerry says, I can see the moon, but I can't see New York City. That is the correct response, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you got it right. <laughs> that was awful, Gene. <laughs> yeah. Plus, plus, did I miss it or you said it backwards? I don't... I don't I, was it supposed mm. to be a joke? Yeah. Like, was just, that the point of that? I can see you're the moon, but I can't see New York City. You're supposed to say. <clears throat> you can't see New York. Yeah, the you moon said is... It Did you not even tell it right? Did I say it backwards? <laughs> you said the joke backwards. <laughs> Didn't he David, say that? <laughs> David, can you play it back for us? Did you really mess up it's the joke? It's a two-line yeah, joke, and you got it wrong. <laughs> you know what? A two-line joke, really think that through. You want to know something? I got a note on it. I should have said... Did we get any late-night phone calls anymore? 
You, you know, know what? Do you? And, and let's tell our no, listeners. No, here at the podcast. We okay. have been getting. Mind the 1-800? I don't answer them. We have been getting <laughs> phone calls from Melania Trump, uh, yes. First Lady-elect Melania yes. Trump. Yes. Crazy. And uh, it's crazy that we get the call. Crazy that we get the call. She is not crazy. She's actually lovely. She's in her the, yeah, calls. she's, she's delightful. Very, sounds very cool. And um, she has said, though, and I'm nervous about this, and I know I'm going to hear this from the corporate office. She has said, do not play these on the air. Yeah. You were actually the one that said, oh, go ahead and play it. Play it. And we did play okay, it. Okay, why is everything all of this? Is- I don't know. Because, I don't know. Because I'm not I, on these calls. No. <laughs> because Gene and I get in less trouble if it's your fault. Is that the... Hey, we, we so did much. not get a call from Melania Trump this week. Okay. And I think I know why. Why? When I walked in, David said, our technical producer, he said, hey, we got a call from Kellyanne Conway. Shut oh, up. Oh, no. You know who Kellyanne yeah. Conway is? Yeah. Is she, she the master of transition? Yeah. She's like Trump mother. She's the mother of the Trump movement. She's yeah. the one that helped him get elected. And now she's the, the, the captain of the transition team. That? I don't know, but yeah. she has left a message that sounds oh, to me kind of ominous. Yeah. Ominous. What? Would you what mind you playing got? it, David? Kellyanne Conway. I knew we shouldn't have done Hello, this is Sir Springer. This is Kellyanne Conway from the Trump Transition Team. We have been made aware that First Lady-elect Melania has been calling your podcast answering machine and you've been playing her messages on your podcast. I am ordering you to stop receiving her calls immediately. Our legal team has directed me to tell you that this is now a cease and desist injunction. You are taking advantage of a gorgeous, supermodel, and you should be ashamed as well as admonished. In closing, and on a side note, Mr. Springer, is it possible to get six tickets to your television show? Please send them attention <laughs> Killian Conway at Trump Tower. Thanks, Mr. Oh Springer. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah, they always at the end. Yeah, you must stop, but then it's yeah, always well, like, well, there's hardball stuff, and then, oh, by the way, can you get me tickets? In BT yeah. dubs, I want to be in the audience. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. She probably wants to come to the show that Trump's going to be on. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, right. That would be one. There you that's go. He, he, he almost came on the show, but he then saw that we pull hair on our shows. So he yeah. Ran quickly. You know. Hey, by the way, today... I had this conversation with, and Jerry, you'll remember this person. Megan, tell us if you do. Well, you you know who Peter, Paul, and Mary yeah. is yeah. or were. Mary Travers uh, died, God rest her soul. Yeah. But Peter and Paul are still married. Paul yeah. is no, Noel Paul Stuckey. So his daughter, Liz Sunday, married name, S-U-N-D-E, yeah. Liz Sunday, has an organization along with uh, Paul called Music to Life. The mm-hmm. two is the number two. So if you, yeah. and it's musictolife.org. This cool organization that uh, tries to take songs and get songwriters who are writing advocacy music and help oh. them put that music into action. So I made contact with her and that organization, and we love what they're doing, and they love what we're doing, and we're going to look for ways to hook up. She'll be on the podcast in the near future to talk about That's that. That's exciting. That's very and, that great. And here's, yeah. here's what they hooked into. We're, we have a, a thing we're doing about Standing Rock. Right. So Standing Rock is where the pipeline is stalled at the moment because the Obama administration has said, stop, uh, you can't put it here, the Army Corps of Engineers. And but Trump is suggesting that when he gets in in twenty days or so, he's, he's going to reverse, reverse that. It. Yeah, great. So yeah. we have 
uh, solicited songs from songwriters across the country to send us so original songs they've done about Standing Rock. So this is in the vein of folk music yeah. of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, right, Jerry? Ex oh, that's exactly right. And uh, what, what gets me about this is the idea that we make the music, the music should be political, because in our generation it was political, because yep. we were all thrown into it with the Vietnam War, with the civil rights uh, movement. It wasn't just something we studied or were interested in. Politics was our life in the, of the 60s generation. And, and that's why you and I got together to do this podcast, because yep. we wanted That's why folk music is part of the podcast, mm -hmm. because we saw it that way. Exactly. And what just gets me about that particular issue is that really is America's original sin. I mean, we often said, it's often written that slavery is our original sin. Slavery is probably the most longest lasting and, uh, you know, it's pretty hard to get more horrific than that. But the original sin was when we, Europeans came over here and grabbed the land uh, from the Native Americans. And we've, you know, talk about these people getting a raw deal to this day. You know, it's not, we take their land, and now whenever some issue comes up that affects them, it's just like, you know, some child yelling, you know, yelling, oh, be quiet. You know, we don't take it seriously at all. You know, if it has to do with their spirituality, if it has to do not just with the, the exact land, but just the idea that this really affects them negatively, or we have football teams named after them, et cetera. In other words, we don't treat insulting them seriously, like it's not us, we don't care. You know, and it's, so I really love this cause because we can get involved as human beings even though we are not Native American. In other words, there's no personal, we're not going to get any personal prize out of this. We're just doing it because it's the right thing to do. Yep. And that's how you fight prejudice. It's easy to fight back when it's your group that's being discriminated against. But, you know, by definition, minorities will never win if it's only their group that gets to fight back. The only way we beat prejudice is by having other people that aren't part of that group joining the cause because it's the morally proper thing to do. Well, on that point, that's why we put out a call to people from across the country to send in songs about Standing Rock because the political power, Jerry, you're right. I, I worked on a Native American reservation after college, and I learned quickly political power is very small because their numbers are very small relative to other groups. Yeah. So if people, thousands of people went to uh, Cannonball, uh, North Dakota, where the Sacred Stone camp is, which was the gathering site of the protesters. So now the songs are coming in. We have one on our website, jerryspringer.com, by a woman named Jean Dowsk, and her song is called Stand Up for Standing Rock. So if you go to jerryspringer.com, you can hear that. Good. There are others coming. And uh, Liz uh, Stuckey Sunday from Music to Life has put out the word to all the folk singers that they work with oh, wow. because so they've could... been doing this for years. And she told me today, she says, I put the word out and there are songs coming in. She says, I'll bundle them and send them to you later in the week. You yeah. know, it's just send them to me in an email. So uh, th this is a small thing that we can do on this podcast is to use the music that's part of our podcast yeah. 
to do the work that was done by Woody Guthrie, Pete Seeger, the Weavers, uh, Joan Baez, etc. And uh, so this is a, uh, you know, we appeal to you. If you're a songwriter, uh, do a song, send it in. The good ones will go on the website. And the best one, we will bring you here to perform it on the podcast. One last point. We have a singer coming up, uh, Mikkel. I'm make sure I pronounce her last name right. I think it's pronounced Ferry, who is a folk singer who just spent uh, some time recently, just got back from the Gettysburg battlefield, Gettysburg, wow. Pennsylvania. Yeah. And she was, for the national park there, their folk singer in residence for a period of time. And she wrote some songs about the Gettysburg battle, yeah. and I think she's going to perform one, if, if not two of them, tonight. So... It's and she's probably twenty something, thirty something. You know, yeah. she's not seventy something as Joan What's Baez would be. No, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> those of us, Nothing's wrong those with of that. us younger people, do not <laughs> look at you. Talking? We don't look. <laughs> I can't hear you. <laughs> Get so, that fancy hearing aid. You know, it'd anyway. be great. Um, this is just off the top of my head, but it'd be neat. Look, I think this battle is going to continue because I think once Trump gets in, he's going to try to reverse the the good decision. So the battle isn't going to end. But it, it'd be kind of neat if, if, number one, and I think you said it first uh, a few days ago, if folk singers around the country, wherever they're performing, would spend a moment, talk about it, and sing one of those songs. That's mm-hmm. the point. Yeah. Exactly. And, exactly. And maybe we ought to have one day where all around the country, wherever you are, your town would have a folk concert supporting this group, in other words, to build awareness. I think a younger generation right now is looking for some, you know, there's so many people upset with what's happened with Trump, et cetera, and they're looking for some outlet to how can we do something to show that regardless of the fact that we don't have the power right now, maybe our strength comes in us being better human beings and caring about each other, fighting prejudice in our own towns or whatever, and get involved in causes like that. That's the best way to fight hey, back Jerry, from ev- the grassroots We can up. rattle off from the 60s from our life experiences all the causes that were won, uh, pushing against the winds, to your very point, pushing against Republican administrations where numbers fixed it. Yeah. We'll start with the civil rights movement. Oh, yeah. Look at the Vietnam War. Finally, when mothers living in suburbs stood up and said, yeah. no, this is over, yep. then it ended. Yeah. So uh, the fact that uh, we don't, we progressives do not control the presidency, the House and the Senate does not mean that if thousands and thousands of people physically and with their money and through singing songs, etc., stand against uh, what's happening in Standing Rock, it will be won. It, it can be won. Yeah. I guarantee you it can be yeah. won. It's always numbers. So anyway, we'll put that on a back burner. I keep my eye on it daily, and there are protesters still there in the heart of the brutal winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I tend to protest more in the summer. You, well, yeah. <laughs> All the major political things yeah. in Jerry's. Yeah. Nice he protests Megan more from the my comfort of his Bentley. My plane doesn't land well yeah. in ice. No. <laughs> I said to Jerry... His hand gets cramped up. He can't write those checks in the winter. It's difficult. Nobody can get them. I said, we need to go to Standing Rock. And he says, yeah, we can do a flyover. No, no, no. We need to go down there. We need to go... With the people. With the people. Hey, Jerry, you're in show business. 
right? You know that. You're in show business. That you Surprise. make your living. <laughs> <laughs> I made it? Yeah. So what Megan and I were wondering is, uh, how did that happen? How did exactly. you get into show business? I was drinking. Where did it start? Well, the people that put you on may have been. When you got, when you got finished, God, I just want to say this directly, and I choose my words carefully. When you got done uh, perusing all the, well, I'll just say it, whorehouses in New Orleans when you went to Tulane, and you actually went on campus. Yes. Fair enough? Where was it? <laughs> yeah, where was it, campus? Yeah. No, seriously. Yeah. You went to Tulane. Yeah, and so, right. And, and then uh, did you get, didn't your show business career start at Tulane University? And if so, tell us about that. Well, the first, actually, that's true. I mean, I, you know, I don't even think I sang in the Boy Scouts. I mean, I had, there's no one in my family that's in show business. I mean, there's nothing to do with that. And as you can Tell I still don't have any talent. I mean, so show business was never, <laughs> no one picked me in a high school yearbook and said, that guy's going to be in showbiz. And, uh, but then in college, well, I started dating. I started to become more social. Mm -hmm. But actually, I was going to say the first time I was ever in a play was in my junior year in a musical. I just tried out, frankly, because there was this, this cute young lady that... Uh, How did I know that that was going to... Mm -hmm. Frankly, because. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But actually, that wasn't the first. At Tulane, they had a campus radio station. That really was the first oh, time no I was ever on the air. I'm just thinking about it. And I'll bring the story around. It was WTUL, campus radio station, in the student union. And they had a room there. And we had all these uh, albums back then, you know, 78s, this was even, yeah, I don't even think it was 45s yet. And we played these albums. But anyway, so I went there and I asked, you know, could I have a job there? And there were only a bunch of students, so they gave me, okay, you can do noon till one in the afternoon, and you can have a radio show. And I had never, ever done this. And the part about the story, which has some relevance, is I was on the air when John Kennedy was assassinated. You mentioned that, yeah. Yeah, oh, did we talk about you, this already? You talked See, about that's what happens when you're in your 70s. No. You, don't, <laughs> you repeat. But uh, actually, I was, um, yeah, and I was playing uh, Elvis Presley's Don't Be Cruel, and uh, we had those ticker tape machines. But that really was the first time, yep. you know, and, and it, it came across the ticker tape that shots had been fired. It was in central time, New Orleans, it was 12.30 in the afternoon. And so it came over the ticket tape, shot, shots had been fired. Well, I'm in this little room broadcasting, you know, being a DJ, and I'm not going to go on the air and say the President of the United States has been shot. I mean, good Lord, you know, I, 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 so I figured someone's joking around with me. I'm the new kid on the block. And, but then more and more kept coming. So I go across the hall where they had the yearbook office, and there was a black and white television, and, you know, and there was Walter Cronkite. And then obviously it was true so i just went back on the air and i said you know horrible news the president's been shot uh, go to your television sets and then we just put it on classical music or whatever so but that was the first time and then the other time was i was in the musical that we put on every year and and i got the male lead opposite the girl it, well the name of the play it was all original it was written by students etc oh, cool. it was 298 bc or how much can a grecian earn <laughs> and uh, 
That's cute. Yeah. And uh, I played this shy little guy that, um, and the, oh, one of the songs I sang, I know you want to hear it, is <laughs> You are with me always, wherever I go. Why, why can't I? <laughs> oh, I haven't, I haven't sung this song honestly in 55 years. And lucky us, we got to yeah. be here for it. The girl's name, the woman's name was Diane Ulrich. And I wore these tights. Wait, what's her name again? Diane Ulrich. You, well, well we got to make contact with her. Maybe oh, she, I don't think she wants yeah. contact. <laughs> There's no reason to do that to her. You Did were you? in tights and what? Well, because we wore a togas. It was, a, a, you know, Do we have, the there's got to be photographic what evidence. What else would you wear in 298? And then I had Weegans. Remember those? Weegans. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. There has got to be yeah, photographs they're, they're, of this somewhere, Jerry. Oh, it wasn't pretty. But we're yeah, gonna find I played, it. Yeah, there were a couple of songs I did, but anyway. Yeah, yeah that exactly. was my well, first time on stage. That's good stuff. Well, later, you'll, you'll sing again because uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll do a verse... Uh, <laughs> With uh, Michaela, it's yeah. going to be. It's been a long time since I sang that song. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was good. Since this morning, <laughs> he wakes up to it every day. Hey, so Trump has appointed today. So we do this live yeah. on Facebook Live, and then also on our live stream. People often hear it in the archives. But on the day we did this podcast, uh, Rex Tillerson, who is a Exxon executive, was chosen to be Donald Trump's, at least for nomination, his Secretary of State. And there's this big storm, Jerry, is, isn't there, about his Russian connections, the businesses he's done and the deals that he's done in Russia. And some senators on both the Republican and Democrat side are raising questions about the propriety of that. What's your take on this whole Russian potential scandal? Well, I'll start off with the end of it, which is there must be an independent investigation of the Russian connection, if any, with uh, uh, Donald Trump and of the Trump campaign. And it has to be independent. It can't be uh, the Senate holding the hearing. I mean, they can hold their own hearings, but that can't be the decisive because the Senate itself may be tainted in this story. Uh, so let's start out this way because it seems, you know, is this just sour grapes? you know, Trump's the president, and many of us are ticked off about that. And the Russians, would they really do that? Well, the answer is yes. But I think it's important to first understand Russia. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this in a necessarily a negative way. It is a fact of Russian history. Russia, throughout the ages, has always wanted to expand they had to expand because the one thing they didn't have was a warm water port. They needed access to the seas because their northern coast was all ice. So in order for them to become a viable nation and a viable power in the world, they, their whole history is that of empire trying to expand. So when you listen to the commentators today, they're saying, well you know, at least the right-wing ones, you know, the, the, the Cold War is over. It ended in 89. Uh, it is true communism failed. Communism is a failure. And then we saw it even when we went down to Cuba. There's no romanticizing it. Um, it's a failed system. It doesn't work. Some of the motives of economic 
lifestyle or whatever is good, but the system doesn't work. So communism died in 1989, but the Russian DNA didn't. Russia always will want to expand. It is part of its existence. There's a stranglehold on it. If it doesn't, it always feels itself surrounded. And now you have Putin, who obviously was big guy in the KGB. He's now the head of Russia. What part of us thinks that all of a sudden he changed his view? These people are nationalists. As frankly, as Americans, we are nationalists about our country. So it's not like, God, this guy's crazy. No. Russians always look for ways to expand. What is now in their way, now that communism has fallen, when they had communism, it wasn't that Putin fell in love with communism. That was just the philosophy at the time that Russians could use to expand. We're going to have the world be communist. That's how they would expand. Well, that, that method failed. But that doesn't mean they won't try to find another means of expanding and getting to warm water ports, etc., and so now what stands in their way is NATO and the United States. So do any of us think, does any rational person think, because every country does it, including ours, that there aren't people at their highest levels of, of, of whether it's spies or national security, at some levels thinking every day, what's the other side doing? How can we influence it? Look at our record. Our history in South America and often in Africa has been to try to influence elections. We can't pretend that, oh my gosh, another country trying to influence elections in someplace else. So obviously they've been thinking about this. And now when you look at what's gone on in the past several years, you see that they've been working on this. They probably try to make contacts with American businessmen all the time. Because that's the one entity that is always looking for markets in, in Russia. So yes, they do have relationships with uh, the new Secretary of State or the nominee. And they, do, they did build relationships with Trump because Trump was trying to do business there. So someone sitting around at their weekly meetings is probably saying, let's keep an eye on this guy. Keep context. Be friendly. It could be 50, 100, 500 people that they're keeping contact with. They don't know which one is going to rise out of the woodwork and become a potential leader. But that's what any nation would do. Russia's doing that. And so this relationship with Trump didn't just start three months ago or last year when he suddenly decides to run for president. Do we seriously think Russia said, oh, my gosh, he's running? No. They just look at their files. Okay, this is the guy that's going now. Who knows him? Trying to do business here? And that's how in the real world of global politics, this stuff goes on. So it seems right now that there are probably some guys at what used to be the Kremlin sitting back there laughing, saying, this is unbelievable. We got this guy. We got this guy. Now... If you're writing a spy novel, 
you would talk about sleeper cells. You would talk about what do they have on Trump? That's the scary part because these people play hardball. What do they have on him? Because why, out of the blue, did the following things happen? All of a sudden, Trump, who probably never had a political idea in his life, he just wasn't interested in it. I'm not even saying that as a slam on him right now. Just in general, he, that's not what he was interested in. He was a business guy. He didn't think about political philosophy. He says he doesn't read. He says, I don't read books. I don't read newspapers. I watch television. That's what he says. Okay? So now, he's all of a sudden, they're talking to him, and he comes up with these crazy things. At the Republican convention, he takes only one thing out of the Republican platform. Only one item of all the items the Republican platform committee put in, the only one he insisted on changing was the one that says America would support the Ukraine if Russia went in. And he had that wiped out of the Republican platform. Why all of a sudden he's saying all these nice things about Putin? Where did that come from? And now you start adding those things together. And then remember at the debate, he said, what's this? We don't necessarily have to support NATO. Well, wait a second. If you're writing the Russian plan, you don't want support for NATO. You want the American president to be willing to deal with you, give you what you want. This is getting... And now he nominates a friend of Putin to be American Secretary of State, a man who, as, and, and he's a very, apparently a very bright man, very successful man. We're not talking about his abilities, and he knows lots of people and all that, but he's got enormous investments in Russia, hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars in oil uh, for Exxon Oil. But they can't touch it right now because of the sanctions. Oh my gosh, are we going to lift the sanctions? Because we put the sanctions in there to get them out of the Ukraine. He's now going to do away with the sanctions because that helps his business? And you say, oh, well, he can't really do that. Really? I mean, he picked someone to head the EPA who is anti-environment. He has Carson being head of housing after he and his supporters said, I've never run anything. I don't, I don't want to run a government. And he puts him ahead of HUD. You know, all these things, you just start, so getting back to Russia, the dots are there. And so without making an accusation, because I don't know, but I would have to be totally mentally insane not to say that there are enough coincidences there that we ought to have an independent investigation. Not just the Republican Senate. Why did you notice 
The CIA, I can't believe I left this out, in September, two months before the election, the CIA meets in a secure office of the Senate office building for classified information to talk to the leaders of the Senate and Congress, both parties, about information that they have that Russia not only hacked and interfered with our election, but was doing it to get Trump elected. They have, that's the conclusion they drew, because the hacking was basically of the Democratic uh, headquarters, Podesta, etc., Hillary Clinton. That's what they hacked, not Trump. And Putin hates Hillary Clinton because he thinks she was leading the protests against him in Russia. So the CIA tells this committee, the committee thinks if the Russians are involved in trying to get Trump elected, we got to tell the American electorate that. Mitch McConnell says, no, we keep this quiet now. I'm not making this up. He admits it. It's God's truth. Mitch McConnell said, no, it's too partisan. So you can imagine how happy Trump is with that. Oh, did I tell you his wife got appointed to the cabinet? So now today, as we are uh, recording this, today, Mitch McConnell says the Senate is going to hold an investigation on this. Why suddenly now? One, the election's over. Two, if he's in charge of the investigation, you know not anything really bad towards Republicans or Trump is going to come out. You can't make this stuff up. So let's say I'm wrong. You're a diehard Trump supporter. I'm wrong. Okay, let's have an independent, blue-ribbon, non-political commission look at it, investigate it. Top people of, you know, both uh, liberal, conservative, really top, you know, maybe some members of the Supreme Court, maybe some business leaders. You, you put it together, a blue-ribbon panel. Like the 9-11 Like the 9-11 commission. Give them subpoena powers. And let's find out if this election, what irony is this, was rigged by the Russians. And you know what? If it wasn't, good. But until that is done, there has to be an asterisk placed next to Trump as president because we do not know whether this election was fairly won, particularly since Hillary won by nearly 3 million votes. So it's not like the American people wanted Trump. The American people voted for uh, Hillary. It's the Electoral College. One more, I keep saying one more statement. I think the Electoral College in the next few days ought to invite the CIA to a meeting where the CIA can tell them what they're allowed to tell them. 
because the whole purpose of the Electoral College, why it was put in in the first place, was our founding fathers wanted some protection against the masses of people who at that time they viewed as uneducated or unknowledgeable of what was going on and didn't even have the, you know, that they wouldn't necessarily make the right choice. So the thing to protect the republic was let's have an electoral college and it would be made up of the leaders of the community, the leaders of the various political parties. That's why you have the electoral college. So the electoral college gets a briefing now from the CIA. There is a possibility that based on that information, which Mitch McConnell wouldn't let come out before the election, that could get some members of the electoral college to say, hmm, you know what? This, I can't go ahead and vote for him. He didn't get the votes of the American people. And there's a real question now that the Russians fixed this election. Let's at least have the investigation. Yeah. So, uh, Michaela Miller Faree, am I pronouncing that right? Faree. You don't want to hear me sing that song again? Nope, never. Well, maybe she, she'll accompany you. Yeah. Um, and Michaela has this great story. She, she's from Seattle, Washington, where she lives now, uh, but she grew up in Ohio, in a rural town in Ohio, and spent part of November and part of December, about a month, as artist in residence at Gettysburg, correct? Yes. Which sounds fantastic. And uh, is the first song you're going to sing from that experience? Yes. In the month that I was there, I wrote 12 songs um, about the Battle of Gettysburg and its aftermath. Okay. Wow. And so uh, the first one is called Old Man's War, and I wrote it kind of thinking about the, the average age of soldiers was so young, but the people making decisions were wealthy planters or politicians otherwise. Yeah. So. All right. Hoping for no news 
song, Mikel. That's Mikella Miller Ferry, and uh, you can hear her music, her albums available on iTunes called Reckless Abandon. It's kind of interesting that you were raised in Georgetown, which is the, the home, uh, the the where, not the birthplace, that's in uh, near there, yeah. where, and, and in Point the boyhood, Pleasant. The boyhood home of... The boyhood home of Ulysses S. Grant. Yes. Part of the Civil War. That's, that's a... What was that experience like being the artist in residence at Gettysburg? Um, every day it was just, it was so moving. Um, and we stayed, my husband was an artist too, and we stayed at the Klingle Farm, which is right on Emmitsburg Road, which is where the Confederate soldiers marched up um, as the battle was starting. And, you know, we could look at our back porch and see Little Round Top, which wow. where day three fighting happened. Um, you could see the high water mark of the Confederacy from our yard. And the like every significant place in the Battle of Gettysburg, we could see from our the windows of this house that we were staying in. Um, every day was just this like soul shaking experience. It's amazing. What and was the? What, what, I'm sorry, Jim. What yep. did, What did you do like your day to day as as the artist in residency there? So I mean, we kind of had free reign of the park. So day to day, we got up and wandered around the battlefields. Basically, we got to do some kind of cool tours, yeah. but. I mean, one of my favorite memories is uh, the very first morning we were there, we got up at 5.30 and we went up to Little Round Top, which was, it's a big, if you're not familiar, it's a big hill that the Union um, 
army held, which was really important in the battle, and watched sunrise come up behind it. And as you look out over to over this like field below where all of this fighting happened, um, it's just thinking about what went on there and being walking in the footsteps of these of these people and realizing too that like these stories are so crazy it almost seems like mythology. But then it hits you that no, these were real people. These were people's sons and brothers and yep. friends. And that um, song's done from a Confederate soldier. It is. I tried to write from both perspectives because it was such a, it just severed our country so much. And things are so divisive right now. It felt yeah. like sure. a interesting time to be. Did you have chances like to this. perform mm-hmm. music while you were there as well? I did. I, um, over the weekend, actually, I kind of wrapped up my project by performing at the Visitor Center. At the Visitor Center. At Gettysburg. Right. And if you haven't been to, I have also, have you been as well? Have you guys been to Gettysburg? I've never been, I no. I've been there, and I'm sure some members of the audience have. Would you agree, McCalla? It, it, it's hallowed ground. You feel it. And, and it, that's that's something I didn't, uh, I, I, knew, I knew it would be, but I hadn't been there since I was a child. But there is a... There is a gravity there is. to the place that it you you just want to be silent as right. you walk around there because you do you think about uh, you know this battle changed American history really because it, it changed the course of the Civil War um, and it just does make you want it makes you want to respect the people that were there and it also makes you feel like how important it is to learn about American history sure. because you know. Sure. Do a second song, would you please? I would. And I would also from your experience as artist in residence, right? Yes. Called The Glory of War? Yes. Okay. Kella Miller Berry. I 
as I go My heart was touched by fire But now it just runs cold Did my duties There's nothing left I owe Now that I'm old I carry my scars as I go When I was a boy I sang of the glory of I'm still with my wooden sword I was gonna make a wish They were never born When I was a boy I sang of the glory of war Michelle and Miller Ferry Really good stuff. Again, That's you can hear McKella's uh, music on iTunes and look for her album, Reckless Abandon. I wonder if you could uh, take us out uh, with the singing of Goodnight Irene by Lead Belly, and we have an artist in residence here, <laughs> Jerry Springer. His stage name is Gerald. Gerald. His stage name, that's just right. Just Gerald. Gerald. Yeah, just Gerald. Just he Gerald. has the uh, folk singer in residence at the Folk School Coffee Parlor. So uh, he'll join you on the second verse. Awesome. It's okay. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I want to apologize ahead of time. Last Saturday night I got married. Me and my wife settled down. Now me and my wife are parted. Gonna take another stroll around town. Sometimes I live in the country And sometimes I live in town You've been listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tomfoolery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com.